turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. You notice the spirit of Jesus, he was always submissive to the will of the Father. He didn't do or say anything except that the Father told him what to say and how to say it. He was constantly on a mission to please the Father, obey the Father, submit to the Father. But Satan, on the other hand, is one who wanted to usurp the authority of God. And it is a reminder to us that whatever structure God has you placed in, honor that authority structure. Because the Luciferian spirit is the one that says, I'm anti-authority, I'm anti-God, I'm anti-structure, I want to be in charge. Our culture over the last so many decades has really adopted this attitude of reject all authority. We've seen an outright attack on the pillars of society such as the family unit, the patriarchy, and many other established orders of society. Pastor Gary teaches us in today's message that this attitude of rebellion is rooted in none other than Satan himself. This may be a hard pill for some to swallow, but Jesus, on the other hand, submitted himself under the authority of God, even to the point of death on the cross. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 17 as he continues his message, Who is Satan? In Revelation 17, Babylon is called the great prostitute because all the other nations of the world will be seduced by her humanistic, false religion, one world government, one economy proposition. So all these other nations will be seduced by Babylon. And so in Revelation 18, Babylon will be overthrown once and for all. And Jesus returns in Revelation 19. So we're not done with Babylon. But the interesting thing is that in the Bible, it's always spoken of as it relates to this evil world system. The place where humanism and demonic things and occult worship and and all of this rises. And so what happens here is Isaiah, now writing in Isaiah chapter 14 gives us a glimpse as to what is behind all that. And in particular, who is behind all that. And it is none other than Satan. And what we find nestled here in Isaiah chapter 14 is this veiled reference, but it's clear, a reference to Satan throughout the 14th chapter. And what Isaiah does here, this is by inspiration of the Spirit, what God causes Isaiah to do is to use the king of Babylon as a type or a picture of Satan. 
So the king of Babylon was a real guy, but he was a ruthless guy. He was a pagan guy, and he was an enemy of God. And so there's an immediate context to this story where he will be overthrown and God deals with him, okay? But there's this veiled reference how the king of Babylon serves to be a picture for us of Satan. And all in the 14th chapter, starting in verse 12, down through what I read there around verse 20, there's this passage here that really is about Satan because he is the power behind not just the king of Babylon, he is the power behind all evil world systems. So, you know, today we're going to talk about Satan. How fun is that? But let me explain to you why this is important. In the margin of your Bible, you can write next to Isaiah 14, write Ezekiel 28. Because between Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, now we're not going to read out of Ezekiel 28, but I will refer to it a few times. Between Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, what we have are two chapters that give us the most detail about Satan, how he originated, what went wrong, and what his ultimate demise will be. So we're going to see this here out of chapter 14, and I'm going to refer to Ezekiel 28 also. But listen, folks. This should appeal to us on a real human level, but I'm going to mention to you why it is that we are not just needful of knowing these things, but why we seem to be fascinated with this kind of a story. Because whenever we start to talk about Satan, you know, we think about the whole story of good versus evil. And everybody likes the good story of good versus evil and how the hero wins and the villain is subdued. Why do you think there's so much interest in movies like Spider-Man and Superman and Black Panther? Because, you know, we, we like a good hero and, and we like the villain to be defeated. And so, you know, we're kind of drawn to that. Now, more than just Hollywood, though, we need to understand Satan is a real being. He's a real being. He's not just the counter on one shoulder to the good angel on your other shoulder, okay? He's not the guy in a red suit and a pitchfork, got to get all that stuff out of your head. And by the way, he is not the opposite of God, because God has no equal, and so therefore he has no opposite. But that said, Satan is opposed to everything concerning God, and he's opposed to everything that God loves, including you. Because God loves you so much, and God the Father put in motion a plan to redeem you from this sinful, wicked world and to rescue you and me from the kingdom of darkness and to take us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, okay? God has our best interest always at heart. That's the whole message of the cross and God's love for us, rescuing us, forgiving us, redeeming us. But Satan, Satan doesn't have your best interest at heart. Because you look like your father and you're loved by your father, Satan hates you. And he wants to destroy your life, and he wants to destroy your marriage, and he wants to kill your kids, and he wants to wreck your business, and he wants to do everything he can to discourage and to deceive and to tempt, to do everything he can. Because, listen, he's not oblivious to Scripture. He knows Scripture. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Satan's quoting Scripture every time. Now, Jesus hit him back with Scripture because Satan misused and misquoted Scripture, but he knows it. He knows Scripture, and Satan knows his ultimate demise. So he's on a course of trying to take as many people with him as possible. He wants you. He wants you to be with him, not to be with God. He wants you to spend eternity with him in a lake of fire, not to go to heaven and spend eternity with your heavenly Father. And so Satan is at work 
That's it. He's a real formidable foe. Now, we don't, we don't need to, you know, wig out and get worried because as part of the Bible study today, I hope to kind of leave you with a sense of just your assurance in Christ and who you are in the Lord and not to be worried, but to be aware, to have your eyes wide open that there is a real enemy of your souls. And Jesus said, the enemies come but to steal, kill, and destroy. There's nothing good about him. And everything about him, his whole M.O., is the, are those three things about you, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so th- to the degree that we can at least expose him and realize, okay, he's at work, let me be aware of him, and let me understand how he operates, we'll be better off to just kind of find our confidence in the Lord and know who we are in Christ and rest in the Lord and not be fearful, but to be aware. Is everybody, everybody on board with me? Everybody know what we're talking about now, Okay. So let's take a look here at the passage here. Throughout the Bible, Satan has several names or titles. Here are a few. Satan, that's actually the Hebrew word, Satan, meaning adversary. He's also known as the devil, which means false accuser or slanderer. He's known in the Bible as the tempter, the wicked one, the accuser of the brothers, the prince of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the dragon. In Revelation 12, he's the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. And in this story, in Isaiah 14, 12, he's known as Lucifer. Now, if you have a King James Bible or a New King James, you'll see that name right there in verse 12. Look here again, chapter 14, verse 12. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. Now, if you have a King James or New King James, instead of morning star, it says Lucifer. Capital L, it's a given name for him. Other translations, like what I'm reading from, says morning star. Other translations say day star. So where do we get this name Lucifer? The Hebrew word here is halal. And halal means morning star, day star, or light bearer. Light bearer. In the Latin translation of your Bibles, the Latin for morning star, or for this phrase here, is Lucemfere, and Lucemfere translates light bearer, and that's where we get the name Lucifer from, Lucemfere, the light bearer. He is Lucifer. Don't think that he's the way Hollywood portrays this very dark and sinister. He's a very shiny being. In fact, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. First time we're introduced to him in Genesis 3, in verse 1, he's referred to as a serpent. The Hebrew word for serpent in the Hebrew is nachash, and nachash means something glittery. It's a word that in Hebrew can mean bronze, copper, uh, or brass. And so I want you to picture him as originally, and I don't think there's any reason to believe he, he's changed, even though his heart has become wicked, his appearance is shiny, he masquerades as an angel of light. Ezekiel 28, 13 says that he was adorned with every precious stone mounted in settings of gold. So when Satan or Lucifer was originally created, his very being had inlaid within his being precious gems in settings of gold. So I want you to picture a very magnificent, really a very shiny, beautiful creature that God originally created as a light bearer. Now, by the way, for those of you who know your Bibles, you also know that Jesus is called Morning Star in Revelation twenty-two sixteen. But note the difference. Jesus is the bright morning star. He is the true light bearer. Satan was originally designed to reflect the glory of God, to reflect the true light. 
even though his heart is now wicked. So in Revelation twenty two sixteen, Jesus is referred to as the morning star, a similar name we have for Satan, but Lucifer is a reflection of the glory. He is not really the possessor of the glory of God. Now, verse 12 here in your Bibles also says that he fell from heaven and was cast down to earth. This, by the way, is how we know. This does not exclusively refer to the king of Babylon. King of Babylon didn't fall down from heaven. King of Babylon was not cast down to earth, but Satan was. In Ezekiel 28, it tells us that Satan was originally created as a guardian cherub, meaning a chief among angels, and that he, on account of his pride, rebelled against God, and when he rebelled, he led a rebellion, and the Bible says as many as a third of the angels in heaven rebelled with him, so now Satan is over this evil kingdom of fallen angels, also known as demons. And Ezekiel 28, 17 says that his heart became proud on account of his beauty, and he corrupted his wisdom because of his splendor. So it says in Ezekiel 28, 17, God says, so I threw you to the earth. So he gets kicked out of heaven. Revelation 12, 9 says the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Jesus described it like this in Luke 10, 18. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So originally designed beautiful guardian angel kicked out of heaven. Now his playground is the earth and he wants to do everything he can. Again, to kill, steal, and destroy related to you and your life and your future and your hope. And so here in Isaiah 14, Satan makes five I will statements. Five I will statements between verses 13 and 14. And here they are. He says, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit enthroned on the mount. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will be like God. He makes five I will statements. Pride fills his heart, and he wants to be not just above everything, he wants to be like God. Now, this first statement, he says, I will ascend to heaven. What he really means here is I will rule over heaven. Satan had a desire to be in charge, to usurp the authority of God. You know, you contrast that with the Spirit of Jesus, where Jesus being fully God in Philippians 2, 6, and 7 did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You know, even though he's fully God, he laid it down. He took on the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself. He condescended to our level to be like us and to die for us. Fully God, but fully man, Jesus was. And he did that out of his heart for us. But he lays down the glory of heaven and condescends to our level. That's the spirit of Jesus. Whereas Lucifer's spirit is, I'm not going down, I'm going up. And I'm going to send till I'm over and above and ruling everything. Listen to me. A Luciferian spirit never wants to be subject to authority. You notice the spirit of Jesus. He was always submissive to the will of the Father. He didn't do or say anything except that the Father told him what to say and how to say it. He was constantly on a mission to please the Father, obey the Father, submit to the Father. But Satan, on the other hand, is one who wanted to usurp the authority of God. And it is a reminder to us that whatever structure God has you placed in, honor that authority structure. Because the Luciferian spirit is the one that says, I'm anti-authority, I'm anti-God, I'm anti-structure, I want to be in charge. That's what was part of Satan's pride here. And then he also talks about how I will raise my throne above the stars of God 
The word stars there, probably not a reference to literal stars, but probably a reference to angels. Because in Revelation 12, when Satan rebelled in heaven, it says that he swept with his tail a third of the stars with him, meaning angels. So he's basically saying, I want to rule over all the angels. Number three, I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. Well, the sacred mountain is Jerusalem. It's Mount Moriah. It's the Temple Mount. And one day during the millennial reign, Jesus will rule and reign there again on earth for a thousand years and then new heaven and new earth. So Satan is looking ahead to that time and he says, no, I want to sit in Jerusalem and I want to sit on God's throne and I want to rule over the earth. Number four, I will ascend from the tops, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. Now clouds probably, again, doesn't really mean clouds, may in fact reference people, like how in Hebrews 12, 1, after it lists the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, 1 says, now therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. In Jude 12, false teachers are called clouds without rain. It's just one more level. I want to ascend over all people. I want to ascend over all the angels. I want to ascend over heaven. And then number five, he says, and I will be like God. That's my ultimate desire, Satan says. I want to be God. Billy Graham once said, quote, we are never more like the devil than when we touch the glory, end quote. But God gets in the last word here, folks. I want you to notice between verses 15 and 19, what happens here. In verse 15, it says, But you were brought down to the grave. Some of your translations say Sheol or hell. That is the Hebrew there, Sheol. That eventually God will bind Satan for a thousand years, cast him into hell. He will be released for a time and then ultimately thrown into the lake of fire, but he will be brought down to the grave. In verse 16, Isaiah says there, those who see you stare at you, you ponder your, they ponder your fate. In other words, God will expose Satan before the eyes of the world. They will see. Everybody will understand that he's been defeated. In verse 19, it, it says, but you are cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch. You are covered with the slain. In other words, there will be no dignified burial for the prince of this world. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire, Revelation 20 tells us, along with the wicked, and he will experience the same fate. Now, in wrapping all this up, what are we to do in the meantime? Okay, Pastor G, I get this. Satan's a real being, fallen angel, get it? He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, and he's going to one day be thrown into the lake of fire. Somewhere between when he fell from heaven and when he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire, what should I do? right? Because Satan is real as an adversary against us. So here are four simple things, okay? These are all our words to try to help remember these things. Here's the first one. Resist him. Resist him. Peter would say in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is serious stuff, folks. Satan wants to devour you. He wants to ruin your marriage. He wants to ruin your kids. He wants to wreck everything about your life. He's prowling around like a roaring lion. Listen to what the rest of Peter says. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Nobody escapes the attack of the enemy. We have to resist him and stand firm in our faith. We have to know who we are in Christ and not give in to his temptations. 
Number two, we have to remember that God's power in you is greater than Satan's power around you. This is 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you, that's the Lord. When you know Christ as your Savior, you have God's Spirit. Then he that is in the world, the enemy. Satan's power is great and should not be underestimated. But God is greater still and has subdued Satan by the cross so that God's power is effective in us against the enemy of our souls. He's not completely powerless, not yet, but he has been rendered ineffective for the believer who knows and has the power of God operating from within. Number three, rely on Scripture as a weapon against his temptations. More than coming to church on Sundays, you must, I must, be getting into God's Word and letting the truth of Scripture permeate our hearts and souls because it is the weapon of our warfare against Satan. All through Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul talks about how we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly realms, he's talking about demonic things and satanic things. He makes a list, and he uses a Roman officer, this first century, Ephesians chapter 6, he uses a Roman officer in military armament, and he says, now you got to dress yourself like this talks about, you know, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. The one offensive weapon on the list is Ephesians 6.17. And he says, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What was it that Jesus relied on every single time Satan continued to tempt him in the wilderness? Matthew chapter 4. Jesus kept replying with Scripture, it is written, it is written, it is written until finally, Matthew 4, verse 11, the devil left him. You want the devil to leave you alone? No scripture, quote scripture, stand on scripture, live out scripture, and let the word of God be the sword of the spirit that defends you against the enemy of your souls. Amen. The last one is this, rebuke him in the Lord. Rebuke him in the Lord. Jude verse 9, there was apparently a battle between Satan and the archangel Michael concerning the body of Moses. You know, the Bible doesn't say where Moses was buried. It just says that God buried him. So God took Moses to heaven, but apparently there was this battle. I don't, I don't know, you know, Satan maybe wanted to just in some way mutilate the body of Moses. I don't know. But in Jude verse 9, it says, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. I get all this business about, you know, knowing your identity in Christ. I'm all about that. But I also have seen some some people take that to the extreme where they go around rebuking Satan here, rebuking Satan there. You know, I bind you, I rebuke. Let me tell you something. You and I have no power. It's only the power in the Lord that we have against the enemy. And we need to say, as Michael the archangel did, whenever the enemy tries to attack, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. You have no power over my kids. You have no power over my marriage. You have no power over my life. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And you stand in who you are in Christ, but you make sure you're following after Jesus and you let the Lord take care of the enemy of your souls. Be rooted and grounded in Jesus and be strengthened in Him because the enemy is real. 
but the enemy is no match for your father. And you know, in the playground when you would always boast as a little kid, like my dad could beat up your dad, our dad can beat up Satan without a problem. So let's stand in his strength and in his mighty power. Amen. Amen. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message again in Isaiah, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. You'll find a link at our website along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. So please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. Just send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. That email address is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker where we left off in Isaiah and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know